Hey, listeners, welcome back to another episode of Being at Work. I'm your host, Andrea Butcher. And wow, this conversation today was personally so helpful for me, as you'll hear at the end of our conversation. You know, this is a story-based show, and we highlight pivotal moments leading through challenges. And I reached out to today's guest as I was leading through the challenge of learning that the state that I live in had passed a near total abortion ban. I learned upon doing some research that today's guest had done something contrary to what she was being asked to do in all of that. She made a decision based on her values and her why rather than following the party line. And just having this conversation today represents her courage and her strength as a leader, the kind of leaders that we need. Cindy Ledbetter is a Republican state representative for House District 75 in Southern Indiana. She says that she's a voice for the poor and is passionate about rallying the business community to ensure we're providing greater access to health care. Listen in as we talk about her personal journey leading in a male-dominated environment, and we'll break down the big issue right now in our state around women's health care because, as she highlights, this issue about abortion rights is about access to health care. It's about women's rights, something that we are both very passionate about, as you'll hear in our conversation. Well, Andrea, I do live in Southern Indiana, and Southern Indiana actually has the largest right to life banquet in the nation. And I will share with you that I am a pro-life individual. I believe that life begins at conception, but I could not support Senate Bill 1 because I don't think that it did enough to support women's health care services, specifically in the way of contraception. In my opinion, the way that you prevent most abortion, not all, is through contraception. And, you know, I was raised in a very poor environment, primarily a black community. And the racial disparity with abortion is, you know, black women experience abortion at a rate nearly four times of white women. And in the state of Indiana, we have OBGYN deserts. And with that, I think that if we expanded public health services through the use of the health department to provide contraceptive services, we would be able to eliminate some of that disparity. My personal story, when I moved to Indiana 30 years ago, I had received services both in the state of Mississippi and the state of Tennessee for contraceptive services. I would go in, have an exam. I would get three months worth of birth control from a nurse practitioner. She would do the exam. I would do a follow-up in three months with her. She'd educate me on safe sex practices, and she would give me a year's supply of contraception, and out the door I would go. Well, I moved to Indiana 30 years ago, and I went to the health department and knocked on the door, and they said, well, we don't do that here. And I'm like, where am I supposed to go for services? And they said, you can go to Planned Parenthood, or there was a place called TriCap. Well, it cost, I think, $30 for those appointments, and that was on a sliding scale, and back then... I couldn't afford a car, let alone, you know, $30 was my phone bill at the time. And I ended up having an unplanned pregnancy at that time. My daughter today is, you know, she's 28 years old. So I really think it's time for Indiana to start to consider improving upon those services. Okay, there's so much in there. First of all, thank you for being so vulnerable and sharing your story. That must have been a really hard time for you. 
There's always a story, isn't there? And just hearing the why behind your decision, just grateful to have that opportunity to hear that. I also, I so appreciate that you really started with your conviction around access to healthcare for women. And why I appreciate that is so much of the debate around this this near total abortion ban is about abortion. And I I have always felt and I see in exactly what you described that it's so much bigger than that. And you see that. So tell us a little bit more. You, You shared some statistics, but talk a little bit more about why it is a healthcare and access to healthcare issue. Well, it, it's an access to healthcare issue because the women that are in these vulnerable communities and these minority, these poor communities, they don't have access to those services. Like I said, we have OBGYN deserts. We don't have enough OBGYN uh, physicians or nurse practitioners in the state to manage those patients. So by opening up services through public health, we could improve upon that and maybe, you know, be able to prevent some of those disparities that happen. I mean, abortions in a diff- it's a difficult topic. And I mean, in my opinion, a woman being faced with a choice like that, because she's at a poverty level, if she has the opportunity for contraception and is able to avoid that, that's a much better decision to make. Because I am a psychiatric nurse practitioner. I work in the mental health field. And that's a very difficult decision for somebody to make. And there can be a lot of mental health issues to distress, depression, anxiety around that. There can be a lot of guilt. So if we can prevent those things from occurring, why would we not do that? The other piece of that is it's been all through the news that Indiana, the maternal mortality rate is not where it needs to be as far as a nation that we're behind. Well, if we expanded public health services for women, we would improve upon that. Not only could the health department run with nurse practitioners, we could provide the contraceptive services, we could provide the prenatal care for the women, and then they also provide well child care and infant care and education for women after they have the babies. And if we set it up in the right communities to offer those support, it would just be a better outcome. And as a Republican, it would save money for the state. The most frustrating comment for me, I think, when I was going through this process during the special session was, well, I don't think that the state should be responsible for health care. I don't think the state should be responsible for contraception. And I was very clear in stating when I was giving my comments on the floor of the state house that day that it's far more expensive because the state didn't help me with my contraceptive needs. They ended up paying for my pregnancy and my daughter after she was born. It was far more expensive for the state to cover all those costs if they would have just helped me to be able to prevent that to begin with. Yeah, it's the proactive. And it seems so common sense to me. Who would disagree with that? Like, would anybody disagree with that? I think we have a large Catholic population in Indiana, and there's they don't agree with contraception at all. I think that may be part of it. The other part of it is that we have lived in a male-dominated society as it relates to our legislature and our leadership for so long that they just don't, I don't think they perceive the issue. This is going a little bit off a track here, but I'm older and even our healthcare uh, has been dominated by men and women are struggling with issues such as menopause treatment and that's that type of women's healthcare. 
Well, and that's why this conversation is so important, right, is that women are talking about the broader issue and that it, this is so much more than abortion rights. It's women's rights. It is access to health care. Andrea, I really want to see the business community rally together to push the state to move forward with this public health initiative. I know I don't know if you've seen recently in the news that but there's a public health commission and there's a lot of dollars going towards that. And we need to take this opportunity and this momentum right now in this time to improve upon women's health care services. And I think if local businesses get involved and statewide businesses get involved with this, that is going to help to push the General Assembly to move forward with the plan. Tell us more about that and how can businesses engage more fully in that effort? Well, typically business engage through lobby efforts. Another option would be media. You know, through the abortion debate during the special session, there were several businesses that came out to share their frustration with the state and how they handled the Roe versus Wade decision. So if they continue to move forward in that matter and say, okay, since we've made this decision if we and we've passed this total near abortion ban, we'd like to see this occur in the state to help women to be able to move forward. I think that would be the best thing we can do to put that political pressure on the state to make those changes. Yeah. And I'd love to get your thoughts on the injunction. I know that like a week after the Senate bill went into effect, basically a judge said, based on the state's constitution, that they were going to put a push pause on it, right? Right. But it comes back up in January. I, w- I want to make sure I understand that process. What happens next? That's going to have to be handled through the court. I, it'll probably go to the Indiana Supreme Court. Almost every abortion bill we have filed in Indiana has been challenged in the courts. As a pro-life caucus, where we are as a primary Republican state, the majority of those we usually win the outcome of. There have been a few that we have not. So I foresee that the injunction will be removed and things will go forward. I don't see this being a stay to, you know, one of one of the other frustrating parts about this bill, another reason why I didn't vote for it, I wanted to bring it up earlier, is because it really puts a stress on our physicians, okay? They want to shut down the abortion clinics, and we're trying to get physicians to come to our state. And if you think about a pro-life physician might be faced with a patient who wants to have an abortion, and they don't want to do that. They face the risk of being ostracized by their community. And then the other issue we've had here locally, especially, and I'm sure in other places, is that we've had pro-choice physicians who have been ostracized by the community. So our physicians don't need to deal with those types of things. Their work shouldn't be about politics. It should be about caring for their patients. So that was another problem for me as it related to voting for the bill, because I work in healthcare, and I don't want to see our physicians being faced with those stressors as it relates to this issue. Yeah. Well, and the healthcare community came out with the same message in a really strong way. And yeah, it's just, which is why it's so frustrating. It's another element of it that just doesn't make sense. So from your perspective, you see the near total abortion ban in our state going through in the short term. So the Public Health Commission for you is a bright spot because it is providing resources that will be missing with the ban, correct? Yes, I agree. And like I said, it's going to help those most vulnerable in our communities and help them to move forward. I was born into poverty and it was government services that helped me to overcome 
you know, a Pell Grant paid for my college. There were government grants that paid for my childcare when I went to college. They paid for repairs on my car when I went to college. I had food stamps. The government even co-signed the first note on the first home I bought. And now I'm able to give back and pay back to society. So those things are so very important to help lift people up out of poverty. They're not something that can be ignored or overlooked. And like I said, as from the Republican point of view, they save the state money. So so you had you had a clear reason for voting against the Senate bill. I mean, it's you've multiple times you've shared with us, like based on your experience, like currently in the healthcare system and like past personal experience, you had a clear why. But that must have been really hard for you because it felt like it was. I, I don't know. I'm curious. It felt like it was like rally time for the Republican Party. And like your perspective was contrary to that. I felt like I needed to speak up for the women in the caucus. Behind closed doors, there were a lot of conversations going on. And the women in the caucus have been trying to get contraceptive legislation passed for several years. I've only been in this House of Representatives since 2020. I was elected, but I've heard the stories about them trying to improve access to these services and it never moves forward. Why is it not moving forward? So it really wasn't difficult for me. It was maybe out of an anger, for lack of a better word, a frustration. Somebody needed to be that voice and somebody needed to speak up and not just for the Republican women, but also for my Democrat women in that room. We need it's time for them to listen to us because we, we know what we're talking about here and it's time to make a change. That makes me emotional because you said, I feel like I needed to speak up for these women. And I mean, that that is leadership, isn't it? Like that is paying attention to what your constituents' needs are and serving them. Such a good example. And, you know, what one of the things that maybe you can help us think through is I have been a vocal advocate against this bill because it's so hard to it's so hard to distill who believes and who thinks what. A lot of individuals are just voting straight Democrat during the midterms and which is why your voice and your story is an important one is because there are a lot of Republican leaders who have a very different perspective and who are advocating for their constituents. You know, I agree. I think the most interesting thing to me prior to going to the General Assembly is the majority of I'm Catholic and the majority of Catholic women who came to me during this time period and said, please vote no on that bill. And I wasn't born Catholic. I converted and, you know, my husband was born Catholic. I converted to Catholicism and I, I think the ceremony is beautiful and I love the ritual of it. But I was the number of women who came to me that didn't want to see the option of abortion being taken off the table was really surprising to me. With that being stated, like I said, I live in Southern Indiana where we are the strongest pro-life in the nation. It's a very strong, and like I said, I, I in my heart, I believe that life begins at conception, but this was a probably the biggest vote I will ever take in my life in finding that balance. And my vote really didn't make much of a change. It didn't change anything, but it was my voice and me speaking up for those who couldn't speak for themselves. 
Well, and I know I'm just I'm just one data point, but I called you to thank you, and we are now having a podcast as a result of that. There's a lot of courage in that. And so while you're getting praise from a lot of people like me, I suspect you also have gotten some backlash for voting the way you did. I don't think so, not necessarily. There was some backlash with some of my other fellow Republicans who voted no for the legislation. You know, you might see some seat changes, some positions lost in the General Assembly, you know, rank and leadership, but I'm new and low on the totem pole. So it didn't really affect me much, right? (laughs) And I'm a woman, so (laughs) don't really want to say that, but I mean, uh, it doesn't really count as much. And being Republican, um, I don't guess I realized the glass ceiling until I got there. And sometimes it's just, it's frustrating. And once again, that's why I stood firm in that and spoke as loudly as I could speak. It's like, come on, guys, you have to listen. It's time for a change here. Yeah. And so I guess that's how you've navigated it. You've just continued to speak up. And yeah, any other strategies that have helped you in that male-dominated environment? Well, this would be one, this podcast, and trying to work with you to get businesses (laughs) to help push things forward. We have to make noise, right? We have to move things and make noise. Yeah. So let's talk more tactically about how businesses can engage in the Public Health Commission. I mean, that's, that's the effort that you're really passionate about. So I I think that the Chamber of Commerce could get on board. That would be a good start and maybe even economic development. I really think this is going to happen, but I think if I'm correct in the bill, the bill right now says that if health departments want to use their extra dollars for contraception, they can. And there is a study committee that has been allotted to using the health department for contraceptive services. So If the businesses want to show up and testify and speak at that study committee, that would be a good place to start. Well, and I'm thinking about, too, all of the organizations who have supported the ACLU of Indiana. We did so, and I think there's over 800, maybe more now. And it seems like those organizations would have a vested interest in saying, hey, okay, if this is true, like we are not happy about this bill, but we need to rally around access to health care for women as a result of this The health departments can be run by nurse practitioners. You know, another bill that I have coming up, I'm going to be filing a bill this year to try to end the collaborative agreement between physicians and nurse practitioners. And that's a battle among itself. And there's much more behind that battle than just it being a primarily male-female dominated environment. But allowing nurse practitioners to practice independently will alleviate some of the gaps in healthcare services because we have to pay a physician to sign off on 5% of our documentation, 5%. And they turn that into a safety issue, that they say that that's a safety issue, that if they're not signing off on 5% of our charts and our records, that's going to be a safety issue. And during COVID-19 pandemic, the governor removed that, wasn't required, and nothing happened that was horrible in healthcare. Nurse practitioners provide safe, effective healthcare. You know, let us manage these services and help to make things better for the state of Indiana. So good. I'm so grateful that you're part of this charge. If business leaders want to learn more about the Public Health Commission, where could they go to get that information? They can go to the state of Indiana's website and just, you know, look up online the Public Health Commission. They can find the information there. And then, of course, if, you know, with that study committee will be happening and then there'll be legislation filed, I'm sure, and they can testify to that. And, you know, like I said, any amount of public pressure put on, the General Assembly through media will also be very helpful. 
Well, it'll be interesting to see if it does go through. I'm sure there's just going to be on all sides, right? There's going to be a lot of noise. <laughs> there will be. I foresee it going through because it's a state's right issue and we voted as the legislator. I don't see it changing. So for me, as someone who has been very upset by it, this effort, the Public Health Commission's effort, like that gives me something to put my energy towards that's positive. Yes. Okay. This is what is. Like I am as a leader, I am part of making it what it is. And so I'm going to I'm going to put my efforts in toward towards access to health care for women. That's the big thing. For the most vulnerable, because those services would be free or a nominal fee, because, you know, somebody that comes from a privileged background or a higher income, they can go out of state to seek services if they need them. But somebody who lives in a community where they can't afford to maybe pay their electric bill. It's not the same kind of story. And there, there's risk of things happening behind the scenes that aren't safe health care. And that's something that we don't want to occur. And that's another push and something that needs to be brought to attention, that we don't want those things occurring in Indiana. This has been really helpful because it's easy to get really angry about it. And I've had, you know, I, I call up my tribe and we complain about this and we point fingers. And I always walk away feeling awful about that. I know that as a leader, I am making of everything what it is. And so this gives me hope that there are going to be good conversations happening around access to health care, particularly for the vulnerable, and that there is a coalition already like doing good things to make that happen. So thank you. Thank you so much for that. We can't just be all one side is R, one side is D. We have to find a way to come together and meet in the middle. And this is a start right here. It is a start. It is, it, And here's the thing. I do think that there are more conversations happening now around women's rights in our state than there were a few months ago because of this. So I am such an optimist. And I just have to hope that if this ban does go through, we're pretty certain that it will. So I, I, I'm having a hard time like saying that, but okay, if, if it does. I could be wrong, but I really feel like it probably is going to go through. Okay. So if it does, then it's also a rallying cry for access to healthcare, for women's rights, and for continued conversation and amplification of voices. That's the key. Yes, let's expand those services. It's We've been living in the dark ages for way too long. It's really hard for me not to make a joke right now. <laughs> <laughs> I wish you would. I need to laugh. So in the medical field, you know, most medical terms are Latin, right? And the Latin term for testes or testicles is orchid, right? And for ovaries, it's ooh, ooh. <laughs> <laughs> Well, if you think about it, the, you know, the term hysterectomy comes from hysteria, hysterical. Oh, that's right. Okay. You see what I'm saying? It's even, even in our healthcare, it's been primarily male dominated. And this is 2022 for heaven's sakes. Wow. Well, Cindy, thank you for being here. I am so grateful for you. I'm so grateful for your courage. I know I've said that multiple times, but I just really want you to feel seen and appreciated for your leadership. Thank you. You are beautiful, Andrea. I appreciate you. Thank you for having me. Thank you for joining us for this episode. Please subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast to never miss a Being at Work story.